gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the Stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. everybody welcome in this is it it's the wrestling time machine david summers hosting another stud cast with the tennessee stud rod fuller it's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling get ready for 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the stud welcome the originator of the stud cast the man who changed the podcasting world with the super stud cast we step back into the ring back into time with the tennessee stud Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what's it like being back home in Tennessee? Oh, man, that's great. I really love it. Up here in the mountains, I'm only uh, I'm only 25 miles from where Brutus goes into the National Park, man. <laughs> so, you know, uh, every night I get outside and I sit on my little deck and and I, and I keep looking for him, man. <laughs> he's, he's maybe right here somewhere, you know, but... uh. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it, Dave. Uh, it's really, really nice to be back home in Tennessee and looking forward to finding me a place to live, man. Still in the process of trying to find a, another home. And, uh, you know, things are pretty busy up here in the real estate market. I guess it's like this around the country from what I hear. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm Kind of gone crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, just to clarify, just so your listeners know, you're not living in a refrigerator box. No, no, no. I got out of the box. Yeah. <laughs> but, but stud, you're, you're at a higher elevation, so you're yeah. closer to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in the refrigerator now. <laughs> no longer in the box. Uh, but I tell you, man, uh, it's been great. It's great being home, man. And, uh, awesome. and uh, God, I got some good news today, man. Uh, hey, yeah, we're. I was going to ask you about that. We were just talking about that a minute ago. I want to say a, a quick hello to Wax Smith. He's from Australia, and I, I kind of met him on one of your posts on Facebook. But he's a big listener, and he said he he said for me to give Mister Pickles a carrot on his behalf. He says he's a fan, <laughs> and he never misses an episode. So, what what are you, what are you laughing about? Uh, so your horse is getting fed now, man. I can't uh, believe that, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm buying Aussie after all, man. That's, yeah. that's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, we got a lot of fans out there in Australia, man. Wow, it's uh, pretty amazing. And, uh, yeah, that's a great guy. I, I kind of know him personally. Uh, do a lot of do a lot of talking and conversing with Walk. And uh, he's, a, he's a great Aussie, man, uh, and a great fella. And, uh, yeah, I like to say hello to him too while we're talking about it. Heck yes. That's awesome. All right. And as you mentioned, let's start off by saying congratulations to you because today, 
This is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021, as this studcast is officially released. You are officially opening a brand new YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. And we welcome all of the fans to go there now, join the ranks of thousands of your fans, and subscribe as a follower of Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Studs' official YouTube channel. In the future, everything regarding Southeastern, Continental, and USA Championship Wrestling will be available on YouTube at Southeastern Rewind. It's a big day for you and all the fans of your wrestling companies everywhere, Ron. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much, man. Uh, you know, it's a, gosh, it's a giant step forward. Uh, YouTube is a big business and uh, kind of uh, stepping into ground that I'm not accustomed to, uh, but uh, did that a whole lot as a wrestling promoter and as a young, a young owner of a company. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm accustomed to stepping on ground I'm not accustomed to. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm basically going to create my own YouTube channel, right? That's and, awesome. uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, fans are going to be able to hear, uh, to begin with, they're going to get the archive Studcast. We're going to go back to uh, Studcast number one. We're going to start there with uh, Southeastern uh, Rewind. And uh, then later on, we're going to actually put uh, television programs on from Southeastern. Don't have anything from Knoxville, obviously. It was too far back. But we're going to start with early in the Pensacola in the 19, maybe around 1980. Uh, we're already in the process of putting together these shows. Uh, we'll, we'll then move from Southeastern Pensacola to Continental shows. And then we're going to finish up with uh, the USA Championship television programs yeah. that were done in the late 1980s. Wow. All right. So, listen, are you, are you talking about full shows that'll be on YouTube very soon? Full shows. Wow. Uh, we're, we're shooting for full shows, the old, same old shows, just like they were done 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, uh, we may then be able to take those shows and be able to uh, – to do our own programming and go back and do commentary. I might be able to watch those shows and break them down into the angles and what we were thinking and what we were trying to do when all this was happening 40 years ago or so. Right, right. And uh, I think we'll uh, we'll have something that uh, if, you, if you're interested in Southeastern wrestling, continental wrestling, USA wrestling, and that's kind of happening a lot since we've been doing these studcasts, people yeah. are talking mm -hmm. about this, yeah. these matches and these uh, territories more than ever. This is going to be the place to find everything. It'll be right. official site for it. Oh, no doubt. And that's very exciting, too. How did you come up with the name Southeastern Rewind Stud? Well, actually, it's kind of exactly what it is. I mean, uh, that's what's going to happen here. We're going to rewind to start with all my archive studcast, and then we're going to start to rewind the old television programs, hopefully in a sequence and series. Uh, like they were actually produced. And then uh, we're probably going to add a lot of daily new additions to the channel. Uh, hopefully, uh, we're going to be able to really entertain fans from all over the world uh, about what Southeastern, Continental, USA Wrestling, all those companies that I, I put together uh, were all about. It's something cool about, uh, you know, uh, having a YouTube station uh, channel and, uh, you know, uh, so when you subscribe to the channel, uh, what's really cool about this, Dave, is what's unusual about it is it is when you subscribe to this channel, while you're on there, you're going to see an icon. It's a bell icon, and you go on and ring the bell, man. Click on that bell, 
And then every time something new goes on the the YouTube channel, your bell is going to get rung. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You'll get notified that there's something brand new, so you there, won't miss a there thing. There you go. Listen, so, that, you know, yeah. So uh, you you ring my bell to start with, and then I'm going <laughs> to ring yours every time I put something on there. So uh, so that's kind of what's going to happen. And uh, you know, people will be getting uh, they'll be on top of what's what's coming, and when something new breaks. Uh, they can go right to it. Yeah, um, I think I got you on this. Let me make sure. So, fans, if you're listening now, you can go to, and I don't, I'm assuming it's ready today. Yes. Uh, Wednesday. Today being Wednesday, June 9th, as this is released. YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel. Subscribe there. Ring the bell. Then every time something new is added to the channel, the bell will ring again. That's like a, making sure you know there's something new out. A notification. And that'll let you know the channel is growing. It's a great idea. So, so what's what's going to be going up there today? Well, it all starts today. Uh, we're going to have uh, actually the very first studcast, the studcast number one. In the beginning was the name of it. It's pretty much all about my grandfather Roy Welch, uh, and it uh, it's the beginning of telling this hundred year story of my wrestling family. And uh, you know, you can go back and listen to that initial initial one. And, uh, and then after you listen to it, uh, this is pretty cool, too. You can immediately leave comments or a question about that particular episode right there on that YouTube channel. And then uh, I'm going to answer those questions. I'm going to answer five questions. Every show that's put up, I will answer them the following day. So if you listen to it the day it drops, which will be, and they're going to drop about every three days. There's going to be a new studcast that's going to go up on there. So if you listen to one and you have questions or you have comments, please leave them there. And uh, the next day, following day, the bell rings and you'll be able to hear what, what, what my answers are. That's really exciting. All right. So I can't wait to subscribe. I will ring the bell on my own. So how many original archived studcasts will be added to the channel every week? We're really looking to try to add three a week. We want to have... Uh, we want to put 156 of the studcast on there in the first year. We can. Right. Uh, that's you, just a goal. When you say three per week, are you talking three one-hour shows? Yes. Wow. Yes. wow. We're going to we're going to make it a place you can go to get studcast, and obviously it'll be archived studcast. It'll be older studcast. Right. But at some point we're going to catch up, and then we're probably going to just uh, place our brand new ones right on there. As yeah. we do them, it'll be another outlet where people can go to, to listen to their studcast. So, cool. so we hope to be able to do about 156 of them on there uh, in this coming year. And, uh, and maybe as 50 original Southeastern TV shows in the first year. So we got uh, big plans. Um, we're going to find out how close we can get to getting them done. And, uh, and each of these uh, shows are going to be highlighted and, in several different ways, these TV shows, we'll be doing actual commentary over some of them. We'll be talking about some of them in terms of what the bookers' thoughts were. And uh, we'll, we'll be able to play a lot with these uh, television shows from 40 years ago. Oh, no doubt. And look, you know, you stayed away for a while. So this was this has been kind of your rebirth into wrestling that really started about four years ago or so. So it's going to take everything to the next level congratulations stud so all right today you got work to do today where do we ride to today 
which each man we're, we're going to start out with as we've been doing uh, for a long time now we're going to start off with a new today's training and uh putting on those booker hats again we're going to take another deep dive into all the things that were happening in southeastern wrestling in the month of may in 1977 and uh, a lot of this is going to be concerning that upcoming title shot that's going to happen in june of 1977 with harley race so we're going to get the outstanding card today of May 26, 1977, and that includes another appearance by Terry Funk today. We're going to talk about the TV promoting that show and uh, occurring in a very important TV rating month of May. So we got a good television program that's going to go along with this great card. And then uh, we're going to talk about the results of the card, and then we'll finish with the attendance. And uh, finally, we're going to great learning tree question. Uh, and this one's about the sale of souvenirs and live matches. And uh, did I allow my wrestlers to sell them or did I control that through Southeastern? So uh, we got somebody out there that's a little bit of a promoter himself there, I think. Dave. <laughs> you know, he, All right. he, he wants to know if I'm a Bill Watts or not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it sounds like obviously another great one is coming up, I'd say, Ron. So uh, Mr. Pickles is saddled up raring to go so where do we ride to first well uh, you know since walk give it wanted you to give him a, a carrot or whatever it was man uh -huh. you know uh it's nice to hear the mr pickles is doing good man so you know and we got a lot of ground to cover today so i hope he's ready to roll and uh today's training uh like i said earlier is based upon actually what was occurring in southeastern during this time period in 1977 and obviously, in this one, we're going to put a little emphasis on. We're going to talk a little about the actual upcoming world championship match with Harley Race. It's going to take place in June of 1977. And uh, obviously, this one is a Booker's hat one, man. Ain't no doubt about this. You know, and in my opinion, Dave, uh, as a Booker, every NWA world title events uh, should be surrounded by controversy, you know, especially if you're a Booker. And it especially ought to be around, built around who's going to get that title shot. That's the way I've always figured it. Yeah, I think I know the answer to that, but, but tell us why. Well, you know, it, it emphasizes these world championship matches. They really emphasize the importance of the greatest wrestler on the planet. Usually the NWA champion is just that, or was back in the day, the greatest wrestler on the planet. It emphasizes that he's going to come to your town. He's going to wear that 10 pounds of gold out to the ring. And almost every night he's going to defend it. And wherever he defends it, it's going to be one of the most important wrestling matches anywhere in the world that night. So it was an NWA, you know, if it was an NWA world championship match, it deserves special attention, in my opinion, especially from its booker, man. If you're the booker, you got to look at this as being something special. And you should make sure that it's going to positively impact your wrestling company. And, uh, you know, every time the champion comes to your territory, your business got to go up, man. <laughs> you know, if you're the booker, it's a lot of pressure on you, but that's the way you've got to look at these things. And that's about what was happening for me and Rob. In 1977, we got the world champion on the horizon. And, uh, you know, you, you should also figure when you get the world champion, you're going to draw a bigger crowd every time than a normal event. If you don't, you've done something wrong. You really messed up if you don't have a bigger crowd when your champion's in town. And every booker ought to utilize 
these title matches. They ought to use them as a springboard, man, to create angles that increase business. You know, and what that happens is you should increase your business not only after the match, but you ought to increase your business before the match because you've got to build that momentum to get that world championship to draw what you wanted to draw. So four weeks after the huge tag match that we're going to be discussing in this very studcast, Harley Race is going to be there defending his NWA world title in Southeastern again, only eight weeks after he had left, you know, and we, me and him had wrestled in that 60-minute time limit draw. Prior to that, and uh, Harley loving the payoff that he got and telling me, I want you to tell Sam Muchnick, I want to work Southeastern as much as I can. We were getting the champion twice a year. And all of a sudden, we got the champion eight weeks after we had him. So, you know, <laughs> things have changed, obviously. Harley's made something happen here that it wasn't happening. So we're going to take a deep dive uh, first into what happened regarding this Harley race title defense in the last four weeks and all the booking intrigue that went into building toward this future of Harley coming again. So on that Harley race night, a new mass wrestler, I'm talking about the one in which we wrestled a time limit draw, which is four weeks earlier than the match we're talking about today. On that night, a new mass wrestler, it had never been seen before, got involved in the Southeastern title match between the Stomper and my brother Rob. And the week following that, the all-time record-breaking Coliseum crowd of April 28, 1977 occurred. And Ronnie Garvin, as Mr. Knoxville, uh, made his wrestling appearance against the Mongolian Stomper the week after that. So, you know, there's a lot going on in this territory of Southeastern uh, during the month of April and May and on into June. And all of a sudden, Mongolian Stomper doesn't have Don Carson as a manager. He's gone. Ronnie Garvin has eliminated him. And uh, he's got a new manager, Gorgeous George Jr. So the following day after the match, Gorgeous George Jr. on TV, this match between Garvin and, and the Mongolian Stomper and Ronnie Garvin as Mr. Knoxville, He's no longer Ronnie Garvin. He's a masked man. He's Mr. Knoxville because he lost a loser leave town. The day following that match, George's George comes on TV, and he starts making these financial offers to Ronnie Garvin, to Mr. Knoxville, to come back to his roots, to come back and get into the dressing room he had been in for a lot of months as Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> and uh, this was kind of the beginning of a, a potential angle that could lead to a dramatic change for the fan favorite. Yeah, but Ron, you're you're not saying that Mr. Knoxville is going to turn heel in the near future. Uh, well, uh, here, here you go again, Dave. You know, I mean, don't, don't need to be saying woe to me, man. You know, <laughs> you need to say woe to your horse, Mr. Pickles. Boy, he keeps trying to run away with you, man. <laughs> I just said it was a potential angle. As I, the, you know, I said this was the beginning of a potential angle. So, you know, there's a lot of difference there in that and what may be what actually happens. Right. So maybe just an angle to confuse fans and to get them talking, you know. Uh, I got That's you. what good bookers do. I got you. Yeah, okay. They, they build that intrigue, man. They keep those fans sitting on the edge of their seat. They keep them trying to outguess you as a booker. So now back to the booker buildup for the Harley race return to Southeastern. The next Coliseum card after that, Mr. Knoxville against Mongolian Stomper was headlined by me and Terry Funk in a Texas death match. The winner of that 
is going to get this next match with Harley Race on June 24th of 1977. And I won that match, but it's still six weeks from the time I won that match before Harley Race is going to come to Southeastern. And a whole lot of things can happen in six weeks. And after all, you know, I could get hurt. I got hurt in the last World Championship match. Didn't happen until after the match, but I got hurt. So uh, if I got hurt, you know, who who's going to get the title shot then? And uh, I might get legitimately hurt. So at that point, if that were to happen at this point in time uh, with what's going on in the Southeastern, the Mongolian Stomper would definitely qualify to get a shot at the championship. Thanks to Terry Funk's interference a couple of weeks ago on TV, the Stomper is the Southeastern champion, and he's the Southeastern TV champion. Obviously, he'd be qualified to get the shot. Bob Armstrong would qualify. He just beat Jerry Lawler two weeks earlier for the Southern Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, uh, He's certainly in that position. Uh, heck, Mr. Knoxville, think about it. He, he's the hottest baby face in Southeastern at this point, maybe. Uh, yeah. You know? So, you know, a lot of things could happen. All right. So, I mean, is that it, Stud? Are, are you going to be leaving us hanging once again? You, you're getting pretty good at that. Waiting to hear what happens next? <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not going to continue. The, the, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue this today's training, but I'm going to throw in today's card. I'm going to just push this today's training right on into the event that we're talking about this week. So, you know, because this card for this for this stud cast, it's going to be a really important card, and it's going to have some bearing on the end, the upcoming NWA World Title match with Harley Race. And this card that we're going to talk about today is only five weeks before the next World Title match. All right. You know what? Sometimes I get a little aggravated with these today's training booker hat days because you get me confused and wanting answers, and then you kayfabe me. So what was, what was this unusual card that might have a bearing on June 1977 NWA world title match with Harley Race? Spill it, stud. Come on. Okay. So this is a tremendous card, and, and it's going to get better. It's one of those cards that starts out good, but by the time television is over, this card is going to rock. So it took place on May 26, 1977. It's in the Coliseum, obviously. The opening match was a two up-and-coming young wrestlers. They happened to be cousins, first cousins. Jerry Stubbs was wrestling against his cousin Mike Stallings in the first match. Both of these kids got a good future in front of them, man. And what a great match they're going to have. I knew when I booked it that was going to be a great match. Ron Wright's coming back into action, and he's going to face Bill Dundee, uh, obviously, who's out of the Memphis territory at this point. There's another man in the next match, uh, Tommy Gilbert, out of the Memphis Territory. It's back in the second week in a row. I'm going to put him against Bob Orton Jr. because of the match they had together the week before. Bob Armstrong's going to take on Norvell Austin this week in this card. The next match is the Southeastern Tag Championship match. Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles are going to meet the champions, Von Steiger brothers. That match is going to change significantly because of the TV. And the main event was an extremely rare Texas tornado match. Uh, that's That meant that uh, all four men are in the ring at the same time. There's no tagging in and out. And it also meant that it had Texas death match rules, which means you 
could beat a guy and uh, they count him out and then they give him a 30 second rest period and they give him a count of 10 to get to his feet. If he can get to his feet, the match just continues. And no telling how many falls it can be and no telling how long it can last. So um, obviously uh, that is an extremely dangerous and a difficult match. So uh, that match is going to be a big time at death match. And it's going to be me and my brother against Terry Funk and the Mongolian Stomper. It's, I mean, it really does sound like a dangerous match. So what was in the main event? That's it. That was, that was it. Okay. That's it. That's my main event. Uh, my brother and I against Terry Funk, Mongolian Stomper, Texas Tornado Death Match. Right. Gorgeous George Jr. in their corner and nobody in ours. Plus the remainder of that card. And uh, like I said, the great thing about this particular card is the TV just accentuates what's going to happen in this one. Okay. So, I mean, obviously uh, uh, another great Southeastern card. I bet it's time for the TV on Saturday, May 20th, 1977, that promoted that card. I had a boy, Mr. Pickles. I'm going to give Mr. Pickles credit for that, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, obviously you got him back in control, you know, and uh, <laughs> you're exactly right. And this TV was during May rating period, and uh, it was the third week in the month and the third championship match on television in the month of May. So let's open the show, uh, obviously with a tight shot on him, like we did a lot of times. And he ran down a really, really good television card. Uh, Rob and I were in the opening tag match on this card. Norval Austin's wrestling on this card. Gorgeous George Jr. is on the personality profile. Bob Orton Jr. is on live. And the main event for this TV is a, a Southeastern Tag Championship match with Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles against the Von Steigers. It's the identical match that's going to happen the following Friday. And it's for the championship. So obviously the same four guys are in the championship match on TV that's going to be wrestling for the title the following Friday. That means that's literally a main event, Dave, on TV. <laughs> literally a main yeah. event on TV. I mean, you were really pushing for huge numbers in the Arbitron and Nielsen ratings book on this one. Obviously, right? <laughs> yeah, I certainly was. You, you darn sure bet, man. I was pushing for it all four weeks in these rating periods. You know, I only had four Saturdays in a row and uh, four times a year to build that critical audience, man. Mm -hmm. You only had 16 weeks out of entire 52 that they're doing a book and they're keeping up with numbers and how many people are watching. So, heck, yes, I was really, really pushing to get those big numbers in Arbitron and Nelson books. And I was strongly considering at this point expanding my company, man. You know, I, I wanted a second territory, and I knew that these type of shows, man, that we were taping this sucker, and that I could take it with me, you know? When I went to see these new people in the new territory, to get on these big TVs and to be able to get a great start with a new company. Uh, so I would go in there, hopefully, with a demo tape like this one that's going to be great, and I was also going to then we are carrying those TV rating books that we're going to prove to the general manager and the program directors and the sales managers and mm -hmm. whoever the important people were in those TV stations that, that I had a product that they were going to be proud to put on their television station. And I was going to be proud to look at the numbers I developed there. 
Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. When, when they see what you did in Knoxville, that you should be walking right in. Yeah. You know, that's that that's the whole plan. And and so we were at this point, Dave, we were far ahead of most of the territories. We had the capability of recording matches and interviews, and not only in our own buildings, but anywhere we wanted to, outside or wherever we wanted to do it. So after Les ran down this show, he, he's already at the, the, we already said that he was there and announcing the show, and the cameras got that close up on him. The camera started backing away, and there behind him on that big screen, it was a giant still shot of Terry Funk and, the, of all people, the Mongolian Stomper together. So Rob and I were sitting right there with uh, Les. And uh, obviously the Funk and the Stomper interview, it had been recorded two weeks earlier after he lost to me in the Coliseum in the Texas death match. So I knew he was coming back two weeks later, and I knew what I wanted to do on the main event. So this interview was set up to be talking about two weeks down the road. So fans couldn't tell where the interview was being taped. It was being taped in the dressing room of the Coliseum, Funk's dressing room. You know, and when the video was shot, they could assume it was being done the day before or two days before. So we didn't compromise the effect of the interview and where it was done. You know, they had no idea of when this was done. So Terry because this was after that Texas death match, he just showered and he was still sweating and he didn't have any shirt on. And the stomper also had no shirt on. And the cameraman shot the interview from the waist up. He never showed uh, that they didn't have the rusting tights on. So you really couldn't figure out where they did this from. And the great thing about it was because it was just at the end of this Texas death match, Terry was still all fired up from the match we had just finished. And gosh, that worked out really, really great for this one. Because when they the red light came on the camera, and I had never watched this interview yet, Terry jumped right straight into it, man. And the stomper was great behind him. Boy, the stomper was behind him. He was looking all wild-eyed and, and, and mad as hell, you know, <laughs> and uh, looking over Terry's shoulder for the entire interview. So... I knew we were going to use this interview, like I said, and it was just perfect for this spot. And I knew when we did it that I would be sitting at the set with Les. And uh, so Les started out by asking me, would I like to see this latest interview from Terry Funk? And, uh, well, what am I going to say, man? <laughs> of course I want to see what he's got to say. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, like I said, Terry just opened up on fire. You know, and he started out by asking me if I thought it was all over between us after I won the Texas death match between us. You know, and he asked me if I thought he was going to just give up and let a stinking dog like me have another chance to beat Harley Race and get my hands on his gold belt before he did. He asked me if I figured that Southeastern Wrestling was going to deny him one last chance to stop me from getting to Race if I thought Southeastern would not allow him to find a partner and have one last Texas death match against me, right? Uh, and, you know, and he just kept it coming. He, he asked me if I thought this time Southeastern wouldn't give him the opportunity to pick the craziest, meanest, and honoriest man on the planet as his partner, and he had just one last chance to hurt either me or my brother in this match, or both of them. And the... the, the, the and then did then he asked me, uh, did you think uh, that would never happen? 
you know, and he just kept going. Obviously, he's just he's come bombarding me with these questions, and uh, there's no place to no chance to to uh, answer him. So he continued, you know, and he he got then into calling me the egg sucking dog, you know, and he uh-uh. and he said he said you know it didn't it didn't happen to me, and and then this crazy lunatic behind me are going to be standing across the ring from you and your scared little brother next Friday night. And Rob's sitting there, too. So Rob kind of got offended, man. He's already been called scared and a little brother. So Terry starts again, man. He does not slow up in this. He goes, uh, now I'm going to tell you what I think. He said, I think you ain't going to make it to your next shot against Harley Race a month from now. He said, I think you and your brother are both not going to be wrestling again after next Friday night. He goes, uh, because me and the Stomper are going to hurt both of you bad in this Texas Tornado death match. He said, I think Harley Race is going to show up next month, but you're not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to be looking across the ring at Harley Race a month from now, right there in your hillbilly heaven they call Knoxville. <laughs> so he's still kind of popping it to the fans too, man. He really enjoyed it. So I think, you know, he carried on that. He said something about, you know, I think that afternoon that we met, my last match there in October went perfectly. He said, because they carried you out of the Coliseum. He said, but the only thing wrong with it was you should have been carried out before the match started, not after it was over. <laughs> he, said, he said, I think this time, me and the Stomper, we're going to do it right. I think we're going to finish off both you ignorant Fuller brothers. In that stinking rotten tooth part of the country on the same night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he was really enjoying himself, you know. And he looked at Stomper Man and he slapped him real hard across the chest. And then he asked the Stomper, he says, What do you think? <laughs> Stomper just, he didn't say anything, obviously. He never said anything. But boy, he just turned right straight into the camera, man. And they got an extreme close up of his face. And boy, he glared in that camera. What a vicious, shocking look it was. <laughs> Me and Rob both are like, oh, whoa. <laughs> and uh, he didn't say nothing, but boy, that stare in the camera, it, st- it said it all. He didn't have to say anything, man. So I know that stare had to horrify all the fans out there watching, man, because it, it was really, really nasty. So Terry ended it, man. He looked over Stomper's shoulder. And Stomper's got this mean look on his face, and he screams to me again. He goes, what do you think, Fuller? You egg-sucking dog. (laughs) (laughs) What a way to open a TV show. So I bet the crowd was going a little stir-crazy on that, too. (laughs) Well, that's what I expected, man. You know, the crowd was, you know, normally they would have just really tore into him. But that was quiet over there, man. I think he had shocked everybody. He just tore in there everybody, and he tore into me and Rob, and the, and he consulted all the crowd. He just, uh, you know, they didn't know how to take it, you know. Well, exactly. And, yeah. I mean, to me, that's the that's the thing about funk is is the the crowd kind of doesn't know how to take him exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He he just he just took over, and uh, you know, the first part of the show was all Terry, and the, and that's the way he intended it to be. And it kind of left me. I like I said, I hadn't seen the interview, so I didn't know about what to expect, and I wasn't expecting that type of fired up interview. And you know, I wasn't prepared to answer his question at the end when he says, 
you know, what do you think, Fuller? You egg-sucking dog? I mean, like, <laughs> I ain't prepared to give him a real quick answer, you know. So, yeah. thankfully, me and Rob are scheduled to go into the ring, and uh, we got two opponents standing over there in the ring. So I, I looked at Les, and I said, you know, Les, rather than to say what I think, I said, we're going to go to that ring right over there, and I'm going to show you and Funk and Stomper and everybody else exactly what we think. And uh, when I said that, boy, I just I hit I hit the floor running, man. And uh, Rob too, boy, we stormed the ring. Phil Rainey, the announcer, he was kind of he was always a little intimidated anyway. He took off running before he even announced us. He just scooted out of the ring, and we charged those two opponents that were standing there and started kicking the heck out of them, man. And we just uh, we never stopped. We never tagged in and never rang the bell. I don't think they rang the bell. They probably did, but I don't remember them ringing the bell. And uh, we were just uh, going crazy on those boys. Uh, we threw them together, man. <laughs> then we slammed them both at the same time. We pile drive both of them, and we put the fuller leg locks on them. And the studio crowd then was going nuts. They had figured out then what the heck we were going to say. And uh, they both gave up in less than two minutes, probably. It was a real short match. And uh, <laughs> I guess uh, we, I hope that we made a point. So we returned to the set for less. You know, we were barely breathing. Man. And we, we had just gone in and just tore those guys up. And so Rob jumped in. He was mad. <laughs> they accused him of being punk, called him scared, <laughs> a little brother. You know, so Rob started the interview off, man. And he screamed right at Terry, like Terry's there. And he said, I don't mind telling you, fuck what I think, because I think you don't know me very well. And if you think I'm scared of you and the stomper, he said, uh, you know, you're crazy. You guys are stupid, right? And he said, I think your gutless Pearl Harbor attack from Ronnie Garvin seven months ago when my, you put my brother out of wrestling for a while. It was the only reason that he's not the world champion now to begin with. Harley Race don't even own that belt. He shouldn't. It should be my brother's belt. He said, I think you've underestimated my ability, man. And it's going to be a big mistake for you come next Friday night. And he said, I think both you and the Stomper are going to leave the ring. And uh, you're going to have a lot more respect for me when you do. And, uh, and then he turned to me and asked me then, he gave me the same line that Funk gave me. He said, what do you think, Ron? So, <laughs> So by then I was prepared. So I took over, man. And, uh, and I said, I think Funk, you loudmouth Texas ass, is going to come in here next Friday and get the surprise of your life. I said, uh -huh. I think the Coliseum is going to be full of crazy Fuller fans and they're going to fire up these two Tennessee boys and we are going to make them all happy they came. <laughs> you know, I, said, I said, I think you need to forget about stopping me from getting my hands on Harley Race next month. And that 10 pounds of gold, I think you're done as a, as a star in professional wrestling, Terry Funk, because you don't have one stinking ounce of class in your sorry-ass body. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was really going back at him by then, man. He said, I, and I thought, I think both you and your sorry-ass stomper are going to get what my good buddy Ron Wright calls a good old Tennessee dog whooping <laughs> next Friday night. <laughs> and I pounded the disc. Oh, the studio crowd was going nuts, and me and Rob disappeared. <laughs> wow. All right. That may have been the best opening segment of a Southeastern TV show ever. I'm sure a lot more than just the studio crowd was on their feet after that. I bet thousands of homes across that part of the country were celebrating 
along with you and Rob. All right, I tell you what, I think this is a good time to take a break. Let's do that. We'll be back. This studcast will continue in a moment right here. The Fantastic DVD 5-Pack is beyond description. Hogan vs. Andre, 1979. Bob Armstrong's heel turn in Flair vs. Fuller, World Title 1982. Robert Fuller's heel turn on Armstrong in Steel Cage vs. Ron and Jimmy, 1984. New Guinea Headhunter coming to the ring in Fuller's vs. Kevin Sullivan's Team Cage Match, 1985. Tommy and Johnny Rich vs. Nightmares. Hair vs. Mask, 1986. And they go on and on. 67 exciting matches, 12 historic hours at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store. Get Austin Idol, Aaron Anderson, Lord Humongous, Mr. Wrestling 2, Terry Gordy, Michael Hayes, Sheep Herders, Joe LaDuke, The Mongolian Stomper, Jacques Rougeau, Paul Orndorff, Mr. Olympia, Ron Bass, Brad Armstrong, Adrian Street, and the list goes on forever. Do not miss this opportunity to own Southeastern Continental Stars forever at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. Only $39.99 with free shipping. Get it before it's gone for good. Hey, welcome back. Another Studcast. David Summers here with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. And check out tnstud.com. You're going to find everything there for the Stud. Studcast, Super Studcast. That's your link at tnstud.com and a lot of new things are happening you'll be hearing more about very soon and the youtube channel details in that are coming up as well all right so where to now stud after that tremendous start to the tv show well you know next owns bob armstrong man and i don't have to tell you what he does to him so you know he comes out there he joins less at the set and uh, Norvell Austin is going to be, for the first time in quite a few weeks, uh, have his own single match on TV that day live. Bob sits out there and does the commentary with Les. And uh, Austin, man, uh, really, really takes care of his opponent. Like I said, he hadn't been on TV in a while. And he was seriously out there going to make up for the fact that he hadn't had himself a good win. He spent almost as much time screaming comments to Bob, though, during this match, who was over there on the set commentating with Les, as he did working his opponent over. So he finished the match, though, with that real impressive move he had, that running headbutt off the off the ropes. And uh, But uh, then he made the mistake of jumping up on his feet after his opponent was just being counted out, and he motioned for Bob to come on and get some up. <laughs> Boy, Bob didn't like that. So Bob bolted, man. He didn't just walk over toward the ring. He just shot over into the ring, boy, and the crowd popped, man, because they weren't happy with the way Austin was manhandling his opponent. But they knew darn well that Bob wasn't going to get that type of manhandling. So uh, as soon as Bob shot in the ring, Nobel shot out on the floor, man. And then the old junkyard dog, boy, he strutted all the way to the dressing room. <laughs> he, he was actually glad to get out of there, I think, is what it was. <laughs> so he strutted because he was happy. Mm-hmm. So Then Bob went back to make the second interview at the set, and Norvell uh, went over into Studio B to make his interview, and both of those guys uh, had very strong interviews about their single match for the following Friday. Then the personality profile uh, was with Gorgeous George Jr. And the Mondolian Stomper was not with him. Uh, And the reason, I think, was because the show opened with Terry and the Mongolian Stomper. 
And I think George wanted to leave that emphasis that uh, Stomper is going to be partners with Terry Funk and that uh, it wasn't uh, all his deal. So let's try it as best to, to keep up with gorgeous George. I'm going to call him GG because it's a lot easier than saying his name. Mm-hmm. But let's try to keep old GG uh, on topic and away from really the wrestling. You know, he wanted to talk to him. He tried to put him on topic with talking about his father, uh, senior. And talking about uh, his private life, what do you do, George, for for, for your hobbies? And uh, boy, George wasn't having any of it, man. He had his own agenda, by God, you know. And he was focused on what was going on in the southeastern ring, you know. So Gigi talked about this big upcoming Texas Death Tornado tag match with Stomper being involved and partners with the great Terry Funk. And, uh, you know, and that he was going to be in their corners, you know, he was going to be right there. And he brought up the fact uh, to Les that I had been, I was in the driver's seat right now, face Harley race for the NWA world title in four weeks. But I had to be able to wrestle when that night came, (laughs) you know, he's basically saying, hey, he may get hurt, man, you know. And then he pushed, you know, Les to talk about, what could happen to me during the dangerous tag match? You know, he said, you know, how about if Ron Fuller gets injured in this match? And, uh, you know, he opened the door then to talk about his Mongolian stomper having a shot at the world title. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, especially since my stomper here, he's the Southeastern champion and he's the Southeastern TV champion. Why shouldn't he get a world championship match against Harley Race? You know, he's the champion here. And he had a good point, you know, and he even brought up the fact that whoever hurt me in the upcoming tag match, if that happened, even if it was Terry Funk, whoever it was, was going to deserve the shot at Harley Race, you know. So he goes, somebody's going to hurt Ron Fuller. (laughs) That's what's going to happen Friday night. Ron Fuller's going to get hurt. So Les finally started getting a little angry about this, you know. He, he, He wanted to do what he wanted to do in personality profiles. And so he refused to allow Gigi to discuss these scenarios in which any wrestler got hurt that was going to disbenefit him and his stomper. So uh, Les got a little angry, and Gigi got mad right back. So Gigi changed the subject to one that was becoming pretty familiar to fan. He made another attempt to get Mr. Knoxville to come out of the dressing room and come down on the profile and allow him to feel Ronnie Garvin, as he called him right out, you know, right straight, and uh, tell Ronnie Garvin to come on out here and I'm going to fill your pockets with money. You know, so now Les got even more upset, you know. And so he he would began to close the profile. And Gigi started protesting that, you know, hey, this is embarrassing. <laughs> sure. you're, you're, what are you doing? You're booting me off of your personality profile? Is this your personality profile? And, uh, you know, he said, he said, he said, has this ever happened before? He's really giving less hell, right? And less is just going and closing it out. So less, less just, he popped the crowd, man. And everybody at home, I'm sure too. He told Gigi, he said, you're absolutely correct. That's exactly what I'm doing. And he got up and walked off the set. And Gigi's sitting there by himself, screaming like crazy. And they go to black. <laughs> Wow. So last came last, I think before he left, he told him, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm leaving, leaving you 
on the profile by yourself. And he goes, uh, and I don't think I'm going to invite you back on here for a hell of a long time. So, wow. That <laughs> was good. Everybody in the studio had to be loving that. Everybody at home had to be loving that, right? Oh, yeah, man. I'm sure they were, you know. And, uh, you know, the person I had to profile, it was kind of less his baby, man. You know, yeah. it, he was very, uh, very uh, protective of that particular part of the show. And he wanted it to go his way. And more uh, George didn't make him happy. And he didn't make George happy either before it was all over. They began themselves a little bit of a war against each other. Mm. All right. So what was next on the TV show, Stud? Well, the arrogant but extremely talented Bob Orton Jr., man, uh, was the next guy out there for a live match. And, boy, he got the booze when he came into the studio. And he was riding, at this point, a really long, unbeaten streak. I mean, going back to beating Ronnie Garvin in a loser-leave town and even before that. He got him another quick win like he was used to getting, man, and he got it with his extremely painful backbreaker, and and uh, he did the same thing he always did. He got him up there, and the poor guy gave up, and the referee said, let him go, put him down, it's all over, ringing the bell, everything he could, and, uh, and you know, Orton just kept punishing the guy, and then when he finally decided to put him down, he dropped him right on his head, man. You know, another it looked like another broken neck, man. It was really, really – it was a horrible sight to watch on a weekly wow. basis when he was doing this to guys because yeah. so you knew that sooner or later somebody is going to break their neck. Mm. You know? So then he went to the set with Les, and he watched an interview that came out of Memphis with his upcoming opponent for the next Friday night, Tommy Gilbert who's a pretty good little wrestler at this point. I'd mm. wrestled him quite a bit in 75 and 76 on my run over there as a Southern heavyweight champion. He's a small guy, but he's, he's a fighter. And, uh, you know, so they had a great match together in the Coliseum the week before I watched the match. I decided to bring him back again. And Tommy made a great interview, you know, about you may be bigger than me. You may be meaner than I am, but you ain't got the heart. So, you know, uh, Orton finished with his uh, with with the comment, not really to Gilbert at all. He changed the subject matter on the way out and he finished with a very unusual comment to Mr. Knoxville, who he called by his name, Ronnie Garvin. He told Garvin that uh, he had no hard feelings about Garvin coming back to Knoxville with a mask on as Mr. Knoxville after he beat him in the loser leave town match, uh, you know, what, about two months ago. And he said that. You know, he said, I, I kind of feel sorry for you, Ronnie. You're trying to win the Southeastern Tag Championship, but you're wrestling with a bunch of losing partners. <laughs> so he, he laughed into the camera and he said, you know, remember, Ronnie, when you and I set the unbeaten record as Mid-American Tag Champions in Kansas City before I dropped you on your head two years ago? <laughs> he said, uh, you need to think real hard about Gorgeous George's money offer. You know, he said, you're not doing too well here now, Ronnie. You know, you got to wear a mask. You know, he says, he says uh, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> you know, I dog, I'm sure Garvin was in the dressing room watching that going, boy, what a, what a punk. You know? Yeah. You, you're not, you're not doing very well now, are you? I mean, I, <laughs> this, uh, this show is obviously full of intrigue. So, what, I mean, what does all that mean, Ron, concerning him and Mr. Knoxville? 
Well, you know, it's hard to say. You know, Bob Orton Jr., he's a difficult guy to understand, man. Mm -hmm. He talked in circles most of the time. He never really made strong points. He made pretty good strong points in this one, but most of the time he talked in in circles. But I'll tell you one thing about him. Nobody could deny his talent. I mean, that son of a gun was tough, and he sure could wrestle. Uh, He was unusual for a heel. All right, so it's time for the TV main event, right, Ron? That's correct, man. Old Pickles is getting better better with you every week, man. (laughs) You know? So uh, you're right again. Uh, This one is the third straight TV in May of 1977 with a championship match. This time, both teams were main eventers, obviously. They're in the main event, the semi-main event, on the that following Friday night's card. It's Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles, and they had this Southeastern Tag Championship match on TV. And then six days later in the Coliseum, they're going to wrestle the same guys for the same opportunity to win the belt. And the guys that they were wrestling were, were almost unbeatable. The Von Steiger brothers. In months and months, maybe the, one of the longest runs with Southeastern Tag Champion belts uh, in the history, and uh, they they had very seldom lost a match. So it had been a great TV up to this point, man. The studio, boy, by this time, they were primed. They were ready for this main event match. So Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles, they were introduced first, and, uh, with a, boy, they got a tremendous ovation from the studio audience. The Steiger brothers. Got just the opposite. When they entered, man, they had their uh, Southeastern Championship belts on. And uh, you could tell right then, this is going to be a great match. And the wonderful part about it is this show had had three short matches. And because all three of those earlier matches had been so short, this tag match had about uh, 20 minutes or more remaining in the show. So uh, uh, it was going to really cook, and it really did, man. Every minute of this match seemed to be exciting. And Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles, they dominated probably the first 10 minutes. The Von Steigers took over for the next five minutes, and they had Tony Charles about to beat a few times, and he and he was fighting out of their corner. And uh, when he tagged Mr. Knoxville, darn man, that roof went off that uh, studio. Wow, <laughs> they, people loved uh, Garvin at this point, anyway. And uh, old Mr. Knoxville hands a stone, as they used to call him, man. He soon had old Kurt bleeding, man. He had Kurt Von Steiger bleeding, and then. Tony Charles got tagged in, and boy, he began to toss old bleeding Kirk, man, all over the ring, using all those English throws. And Carl Von Steiger was on the apron of the ring. He was panicked. They were going to get beat on TV, man, for their championship. And uh, he turned uh, toward the dressing room, and he motioned for somebody to come in, come to the studio. So Mr. Knoxville and Charles, man, they're tagging in and out at this point, and uh, they're going for pins on Kurt, and Kurt's barely kicking out again and again. They'd, they'd almost got him, almost got him, two count, kick out, kick out. And all of a sudden, Norvell comes out of the dressing room and out into the studio. And Carl Von Steiger, he just, he don't wait, he don't hesitate. He just waves him on in, like, get in here. Geez, we got to get disqualified. We got to do something. We're going to get beat right here. Mm-hmm. So the referee signal. Obviously, Austin, he slid up into the ring, and here he went, and the referee signaled for the disqualification and the belt, and Austin went straight to Tony Charles, attacked him from behind, and then Carl jumped in the ring and got Mr. Knoxville under control, 
And boy, that studio was going crazy by then. Now, Kurt started to recover a little bit. And him and Carl, they both uh, got together. They gave Tony Charles a double suplex. And they all went to work on Mr. Knoxville. And all three of them were trying to take his mask off. Obviously, the deal was uh, if you came back with a mask on and you lost your mask and it was turned out to be the guy that lost the loser leave. In, uh, in other words, if Ronnie lost his mask, Ronnie would be gone from Southeast. So Bob Armstrong, man, this came from out of nowhere. You know, they needed, uh, you know, there was two on three and, and, uh, and boy, the, the studio was already crazy boy, but they really popped when he hit the ring and all three of those guys, they started on the heels and, Obviously, the heels took a powder, and they went to the dressing room. The referee raised Knoxville's hand and Tony Charles's hand, uh, but they couldn't win the belts by disqualification. The studio was sheer pandemonium, man. I mean, the crowd just absolutely went crazy over that match. So then Mr. Knoxville, Tony, and Bob Armstrong, they went to the set with Les. And uh, in Studio B, Kurt Von Steiger was still bleeding, and his brother Carl and Norvell were in there. So the German team started the interview, and Kurt Von Steiger, he's still bleeding. He demanded right off the top. He says, uh, you know, we not only want to have a title match as his book, but we want to have Norvell Austin here manage us. We want him in our corner. And then he really went crazy. He took things to an entirely different level, man. And he demanded, you know, he says, uh, we also want, we want this to be a loser leave southeastern match loser leaves southeastern forever <laughs> forever wow wow wait a minute now forever right so uh, you know so the cameras you know about that time their time their minute was up they switched over to the other set and les was on the phone uh, already on that phone to sit on the desk talking to guys upstairs and Trying to get a confirmation that they were going to change the match and mm -hmm. all these stipulations that the Von Steiger had come up with. And in the meantime, Mr. Knoxville, he just went right into the interview and uh, he accepted it. He said, we'll accept the loser leave forever, Claude. He goes, uh, he said, you Germans have been here too long and me and Tony Charles <laughs> are just a team to beat you. We want to run you out of here. Everybody wants you gone, right? And then Tony jumped in. He thanked Bob for helping him out. And he asked Bob, he says, since they could have that guy in their corner, Norvell Austin, uh, how about you to be in our corner? So Bob said, absolutely, sure, I would. So about that time, Les got off the phone, and he announced that the next Friday night match between the two teams had some changes in it. He said that now that Norvell Austin is going to be in the champion's corner as their manager, Bob Armstrong is going to be allowed to be in Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles's corner as their manager. And the match is going to be a no disqualification now so that when you get disqualified, you'll still lose the belt. So, you know, if you get disqualified on purpose, you are going to lose the belts. Then he finished with the biggest change. He said that for the first time ever in Southeastern history, he goes, the, the officials of Southeastern are going to make this a loser leave Southeastern match and it's going to be forever. Wow. So that's a pretty big deal when you can yeah. never come back. Oh, no you doubt. Know? And the Von Steigers were obviously uh, very well loved, uh, or should we say hated, in, in the market. Yeah. What a TV show, Ron. I mean, so what just happened there seems like it would create 
another monster crowd the following Friday. So I can't wait to hear what happened in the last two matches that Friday. Well, okay. Uh, sheesh, let's just go and let's go do it then. Uh, you know, Jerry Stubbs, uh, he, he beat his cousin, Mike Stallings. Uh, Ron Wright beat Bill Dundee. Bob Orton Jr. defeated Tommy Gilbert uh, in a no DQ match. Then another good match. Uh, I was thinking about bringing them back again. It was such a good match. Bob Armstrong won his match over Novell Austin in their single match. And then Mr. Knoxville and Tony Charles, they won the Southeastern Tag Championship. They sent the Von Steiger brothers packing. And uh, those guys never appeared in Southeastern again, just like the contract said. It was their last match ever in Southeastern. And Bob Armstrong had a big part in that victory. He actually got in there and was able to jack Carl Von Steiger's job. And Tony Charles got the pin. So. Um, then the, the big uh, Texas Tornado death match, uh, it was a really great one, man. Uh, the match lasted more than 30 minutes. It probably had at least 10 falls, maybe as many as 15. I don't remember. Uh, but uh, I finally got the fuller leg lock on Terry Funk, and uh, he submitted. Uh, after really fighting it again like crazy, uh, he, he couldn't, couldn't move me. He couldn't get to the ropes. There was nothing he could do. And he finally submitted. They took the 30-second rest period, but then he wasn't able to get to his feet on the 10 count. So Rob and I, we were declared the winners. Uh, Rob suffered a pretty nasty cut in this one, and uh, he lost a lot of blood. But uh, he managed to get up several times from pins, man, when I thought they had him. They really, wow. really punished Rob in this match, the both the wow. Stomper and uh, Terry. And Rob just showed a lot of heart, man. He just would not quit, and he kept getting to his feet. Uh, when it was all over, Rob was exhausted. He was he was really bloody, and he was exhausted. And good old Bob came to the ring, and uh, he helped me carry Rob back, helped me get Rob back to the dressing room. Wow. All right, so listen, the last time you had Terry Funk in that situation, there were tears in his eyes. What was the – I mean, he, he couldn't stand it this time, but was – was he a little tougher? What was the difference? Oh, he 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 had him there again, man. He cried again. Uh-uh. I mean, I mean uh, hey, boy, he made me feel bad. I, you know, and, and you, this is, I believe, that's probably going to be the last time I ever put that hold on Terry Funk. Really? In that match. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, I really, I really felt for him, man. And, uh, you know, as big an ass as he was in it. And as disliked as he was by everybody, you know, I've respected his his toughness. And uh, he struggled with it. He struggled big time not to lose again with the same hold. I think it hurt him worse the second time. Man. All right. So that's that's a crazy night. Sounds like another big night for Southeasterns. Uh, and you guys had to do really well at the box office. Yeah, we did, man. Uh, it was uh, just over 6,000 for the third time in the last five weeks, man, uh, since the Harley race match, which set that all-time sports record for the Coliseum. You know, wow, business was just on fire. Pretty much amazing uh, for a city of 125,000 to be doing that type of crowds. There was very, very few cities, might have been the only city in the country of that size that were drawing that kind of people. Oh, no doubt. I mean, dude, you've got you've got Ron Wright, you've got Bob Orton Jr., Tommy Gilbert, Bob Armstrong, Norvell, Mr. Knoxville, 
Tony Charles, plus others, not to mention Terry Funk, uh, the, the Stomper, and uh, Harley Race is coming back in uh, within a period of time. So obviously there's another great stud cast right there, Ron. They just never stop. I think it's time to get that cold drink. Let's take a break and let's get a seat under the learning tree. Set it up for us once again. Remind us who it was and who asked it. Well, this question is about the sale of uh, souvenirs uh, at the matches. And uh, it's it's from a guy on Twitter. And I don't get a lot of Twitter questions, but uh, this, this guy's handle was Rocky1954. I don't know his name, but uh, I did write that down when I, when I wrote the question down. And uh, his question was, did your promotions or any wrestlers sell pictures, masks, etc., to raise money for your promotion or for themselves? Rocky, that's a good question. And I guess a lot of fans want to know uh, how that worked and, you know, uh, how promoters felt about that. So almost every promotion really had different rules when it came to selling souvenirs at the matches. Uh, most of the bigger companies uh, didn't allow their wrestlers to sell souvenirs uh, or what we call gimmicks, you know, photos, masks, or whatever they may be selling out there. And uh, there were many reasons for that. Uh, the wrestling company you, you work for, obviously, they spend a lot of time and money on you, man, to get you over to where you become a star. They basically make you a star. You know, you don't make yourself a star. They give you the opportunity and they put you in the position to become a star. And if you can make that happen, you owe it to them. Once you become a star, they're kind of responsible for making that happen. And then and, and they probably deserve to make uh, the money off of the fame that they brought to you, basically. Mm -hmm. So money was always the consideration when it came to these souvenir questions. You know, if you worked in huge territory for a major company in the 2000s, like WWE and WCW, wrestler contracts alone made them a tremendous amount of money, enough that they really didn't have to care about selling souvenirs. They were making some really, really serious money. And now the smaller territories back in the day, each of them had their own thoughts when it came to the sale of souvenirs. Uh, my companies were smaller, smaller than a lot of the huge territories, but my wrestlers were paid well. So, you know, uh, I could have probably gone either direction on it. Many had no interest in selling souvenirs. A lot of guys, if you weren't over, you weren't going to sell any souvenirs. People don't buy a picture of you. They, they don't even hardly care about your match for some, some of those guys. And uh, that's a bad situation. And thank God I was never in that situation. But uh, that happened to some guys. And then there was other guys that wanted that extra money. And if you had top guys in your territory that were accustomed to working in big territories and making big checks, allowing them to sell souvenirs, made a lot of difference in the in the, whether they're going to stay with you or not. So I always allowed it in my territory. Now, many, many big-time stars, I could have never gotten to come to work for me if I had said, no, you can't sell your souvenirs. So, you know, I end up with some great stars because I allowed them to go out there and do that. Wow. So I never wanted to personally, as a promoter and owner of a company, to get in the souvenir business. You know, and I, and I probably sacrificed a lot of extra revenue, to be honest with you. But I also had a lot more time for myself. I had a lot to do running my own companies. You know, I never had big offices when I had wrestling territories. I didn't have 
hardly any employees in my wrestling companies. I wasn't going to experience all that until I got into hockey years later mm-hmm. about having these huge offices and tons of employees, you know, where you could do everything you needed to do. So uh, I had many employees uh, in that sport. And then obviously in, in hockey, it made sense to sell souvenirs. There was big money in it. And I was I had a lot of employees and I just gave them that job of, uh, of running those souvenir stands made a tremendous amount of money in, in the hockey situation, but uh, I never needed it. It was different with uh, wrestlers uh, than, than hockey players. And uh, the accessibility to fans was totally different, man. Uh, you know, and wrestlers, they could go out there and be around the fans all the time. Hockey players, they didn't have an opportunity to, to go between periods out and sell pictures. You know, it wasn't, that just wasn't going to happen. So, uh, so the accessibility to fans, that's really the last part of this answer uh, for for the gentleman here, Rocky, 1954. Uh, obviously, only baby faces were going to attempt to even try to sell souvenirs. Heels knew they weren't going to make any money <laughs> out there trying to sell their pictures, right? So right. lots of promoters, and, and I was one of them. I didn't mind baby faces selling souvenirs, but I always had a rule. That 15 minutes before match time, you had to be in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I wanted every wrestler to be available from that time, 15 minutes before the bell rang until the end of the matches. And uh, the company's business time was the most important, or it should be for even the guys that made the extra money from souvenirs. If your focus was more on selling pictures than it was uh, what you're going to do in the ring that night, I didn't have time for you. Uh, you wouldn't be selling them in my territory. Yeah, it was a little bit of a distraction there, obviously. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you were a pretty cool boss. And I've heard that some of your wrestlers made an extra $500 or more every night from souvenirs. And, and I'm uh, again, T-shirts, pictures, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I knew that was the case. That's true. You know? But I was never greedy, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, having making that money myself. And as the owner of a wrestling company, uh, I was always making a lot more than they were, no matter how much they were making there, you know, uh, having the company and having those big crowds, you were always good. You were doing well. And I always appreciated guys that had that strong ambition to be successful and to make a little more. That's the type of guy that you put on top. That's a guy that works his way to the top. He wants to be on top. Well, and you got happy guys that are making an extra 500 bucks a night. Uh, so uh, if they're the happier they are, the, the more they're plugged into what's going on. All right. Listen on Facebook, Studcast fans, you can still become friends with Ron on two uh, out of his three Facebook pages. Simply follow him on either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud page or author Ron Fuller Welch page, either or both, follow him there and become friends with a legend. Twitter and Instagram, both. Follow him at Ron Fuller Welch on both Twitter and Instagram. Super Studcast number 41 with Arn Anderson is a fantastic ride into a great star's past at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Arn's stories are tremendous from his being nine years old, mask on, trying to choke out his best friend to his Southeastern days. Dusty Rhodes 
will get over inventing the four horsemen name and his neck operation that caused such pain. He asked his friend to bring a gun to the hospital so he could commit suicide. Obviously that all changed and we're thrilled. We're thrilled about that. Find out why these super stud cast are called the best deal in wrestling. TNstud.com or patreon.com slash stud cast three hours, only two ninety nine and voted best old school DVDs. Southeastern continental five pack is still available. 67 matches. 12 hours. You can own your piece of pure wrestling history at tnstud.com. Click on stud store. Only $39.99 with free shipping. There are hundreds of five-star ratings on these DVDs. You got to check them out. If you're a fan, this has got to be a part of your collection. And if you were a Studcast fan and a stud fan, you got to get Brutus, Ron's first novel. As he mentioned earlier, it has 50 five-star ratings on Amazon. Some say it's the next Jaws. Get it on Amazon.com, keyword Brutus Novel, or the special rare autograph copy straight from the stud at tnstud.com. Click stud store. You don't want to miss this book. It's absolutely awesome. All right, stud. Next week, it's got to be bigger than this if you want to top it. So how do you do that? Where do we go? Well, it's getting pretty hard, man. I'm telling you at this point. <laughs> uh, and today's training for next week, I think we're going to take a look at the Booker's Dilemma. Uh, you know, he's got a problem whether he's going to make some wrestlers baby faces or some heels and uh, and the reason why. We got a particular wrestler that's coming uh, next week into Southeastern. That's a perfect example of this is the uh, what way do we put him, man? Where does he go? Is he baby face or heel? So we're going to be entering June 1977 next week. Uh, we're going to talk about one of Southeastern most unlikely stars arriving in Oxville uh, for his first Southeastern match ever, and uh, that's Joe LaDuke. And he's going to become one of the company's uh, least likely baby faces to succeed. <laughs> in uh, fact, I would say uh, Joe LaDuke uh, is definitely the least likely baby face to succeed wherever he goes. <laughs> But by golly, he creates a fervor of, of fans. He, he becomes a phenomenal babyface in Southeastern. Uh, Mr. Knoxville is going to add next week to his Southeastern history of Ronnie Garvin. And also the learning tree next week is going to ask, how did relationships with my grandfather and father's wrestlers affect me? What a great question that is because uh, there is a little bit of effect there. That's amazing. Uh, that's a lot of guys that wrestle for my grand, not so much for my grandfather, but for my father, were still around. And uh, it was an odd relationship. So mm -hmm. I look forward to answering that one. Cool. And, you know, I want to thank everybody, uh, Dave, as always, man, for joining us again today. And, uh, and I want to welcome the new listeners. Uh, we get them every week. Uh, thank you very much for jumping on board and saddling up with us and, and uh, keep doing it, man. Keep riding with us. And, uh, Tell your friends about us out there and uh, take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all. Hey, and before we end today, Ron, I want to remind fans about the new YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel. Go there today, subscribe, ring the bell, and get ready for the official Ron Fuller Welch wrestling experience. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us and reminding you that Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production 
of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.